is that they're under pressure from workforce to do things that align themselves with a party that would literally not pee on them if they were on fire. I mean, that is the, it's, it is amazing. Attention passengers, we ask that you please fasten your seatbelts at this time and secure all baggage underneath your seat or in the overhead compartments. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is prepared for takeoff. This is the show we regret before we even started it. And welcome <laughs> to Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. I'm your roundtable host, Joe Arnold, alongside with Jared Crawford. The opera mentions Scott Jennings, Kevin Grout, and Sean Southard. Hello, gentlemen. What an opening, Jared. Joe yeah. Arnold is here. I am so Sean excited. Sean is to be here. With you. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. By the way, Grouty, I'm going to give Crawford a, a couple of warnings. If you hear a, this kind of, this is Halloween early, but for some reason, Jennings tonight has brought in, we're taping the show, by the way, on Wednesday. March 23rd at 9.49 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. That's a whole other story. But anyway, but but Scott, for some reason, has brought in... How old is this candy, Scott? Is this like left over from, from October? Or, or, no, it's uh, we replenish it in the buckets. Do you? Okay. But for, I, I don't know if, if there's nervous eating going on, whatever it is, but we have a lot of... Uh, oh, we're nervous, uh, all right. <laughs> I'm nervous anytime I'm around you, Joe, that you're going to say something weird. All of you have such great experience in, uh, in, in the political realms and, and doing all... A host of different jobs over the years, and the question I have for you tonight, from a as a political analysis question, we have heard more certainly in the last several months about transgender issues than ever before in most of our lives, I would think. And 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 now we're to the point. My question is: is since this has permeated, you know, uh, sports and the Supreme Court hearings and uh, uh, political debates. Is, is this reached a point now this is going to be a major issue as we near the midterms? It seems to me, Scott, I'll start with you. There has to be, I'm always kind of going into polling because I'm always thinking about it. Whenever I see a politician saying certain things repeatedly or a group of politicians kind of saying similar things, I always have to wonder, there has to be polling. There has to be some reason why they think this has to be a winning issue rather than each person independently saying, I'm going to talk about this today. Well, I think you raise an astute point about why something is getting brought up. So you, you mentioned the Supreme Court hearings, and we saw both Tennessee Senator Blackburn and also Ted Cruz uh, try to, to uh, trip up the nominee, Judge Jackson, on you know how to define a woman. And obviously they're getting at this whole transgender issue that you mentioned is permeating seemingly all, all facets of our culture right now. They're not doing this because they think it's going to derail the nomination. They're doing it because they find political utility in discussing these matters. And, you know, the, there is some polling. The Gallup poll not too long ago found that this is on the athletes issue. 62% of Americans believe that athletes in competitive sports should, quote, play on teams that match their birth gender. Among Republicans, it was 83% who agreed with that. Among independents, it was 62%, and among Democrats, it was 41%. So, you know, just if you took the label off the issue and you just said, hey, I'm running a campaign, and here's an issue that almost universally unites your own party, has, you know, overwhelming support among independents, and, uh, you know, even a handful of Democrats out there are with you, you'd, you'd probably try to run on it. Presumably if you agreed with the, with the yeah. way the poll was tilting in the first place. And, and if it were and, – and, and if it were – so you know it works in the polling. And then if it, if, if it were getting a ton of attention in the national sort of conversation, 
So there's something to be said for surfing waves. And so if there's a wave going on in a conversation, whether no matter what the topic is, if, if you can insert yourself into that and try to surf it for your own political benefit, that p- politicians do that all the time. That's clearly what Blackburn and Cruz are doing because they think it's going to work for them. And look, what happened? They got a ton of attention on social media. They've gotten a lot of attention out of this question. You make a really interesting point that you don't think Senator Blackburn and Senator Cruz approach that question as if it could derail the nomination of Judge uh, Jackson. But the answer was very interesting because she completely punted on it and said, well, uh, I'm not a biologist. That's not what they pay me for. Uh, so By the way, was, not, not a great moment. Was, I mean, truthfully, I mean, I think a lot of Americans would have looked at that and said, well, why can't you just answer? Was she scared that it would derail her nomination? No, I think I think the answer she gave is basically the stock answer you give if you're on the left. Is it not? Let's hear it. Uh, can you provide a definition for the word woman? Can I provide a definition? Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. I can't. You can't? N- not in okay. this context. So I'm not a biologist. The meaning of the word woman is so unclear and controversial that you can't give me a definition. So I think we're going to talk about the Supreme Court a lot later, and there's a lot to say about how she's been answering questions. But if we go back a couple months, even to the presidential primary, why was she selected? Why is she the nominee? Obviously, she's qualified, but President Biden made it clear he was nominating someone to be the first black woman on the Supreme Court. I guess President Biden knows what a woman is. Uh, why, why does she think she's in the seat? I think I think that answer, I mean, Sean, Joe, uh, Jared, I mean, I, I, to me, that is a stock answer that you would give if you were a, a just a standard issue member of the of the progressive left in America. You would say, oh, I can't define that or it's complicated or, well, you know, we can't really we can't really put people into boxes that way. I mean, isn't that the stock answer of the left? Yeah, I mean, she wasn't going to go into a rousing definition, postmodern definition of what gender, sex and biology looks like, because that's woefully out of step with what most people in this country uh, understand those issues to be. Uh, I, I think it, it wasn't a great answer, but I, I would also say it's like, you know, Scott, to your point, it's, it's not only like the questions that are being asked and the polling. You know, there are legislators moving on these issues across the nation uh, here in Kentucky and in Indiana and in Utah, South Dakota, all over the place, uh, trying to wrestle with these questions that they're hearing from their constituents. My, my, my belief is that politicians, Republicans— are hearing from, obviously, members of their base, members of their party. But my gut instinct is they are at least quietly also hearing from a number of parents who maybe don't consider themselves to be all that political, who are really worried about their own kids and what they may face in some of these circumstances. And, and I mean, you see some of it reflected in, like, the independents, you know, people who don't feel strongly about one part or the other. You see where it is. And uh, my suspicion is... They are getting a lot of input. They're hearing about it, even if it's quiet. You know, these are not people holding press conferences, but they're getting in touch with their legislators. So the day after Marsha Blackburn asked her about this definition, she got a second bite at the apple, courtesy Ted Cruz. So yesterday, uh, under under questioning from Senator Blackburn, uh, you told her that that you couldn't define what a woman is. Uh, that you were not a biologist, which which I think you're the the only Supreme Court nominee in history who's been unable to answer the question, what is a woman? Uh, let me ask you, as a judge, 
how would you determine if a plaintiff had Article III standing uh, to challenge a gender-based rule, regulation, policy, uh, without being able to determine what a woman was? So, Senator, I know that I'm a woman. I know that um, Senator Blackburn is a woman, and the woman who I um, admire most in the world is in the room today, my mother. Um, it sounded as though well, but the but question let me, but, was... But let me ask, under the modern leftist sensibilities, if, if I decide right now that, that I'm a woman, um, then... Apparently, I'm a woman. Does that mean that I would have Article Three standing to challenge a gender-based restriction? Senator, to the extent that you are asking me about um, who has the ability to bring lawsuits based on gender, those kinds of issues are working their way through the courts, and I'm not able to comment on them. Okay. If, if, if I can Cruise change and, my and, gender, and, if I can be a woman, Jackson, and then an hour later, if I decide— A couple different— observations there first of all i think that from as a political matter her answers were better yeah i agree uh, with that you yeah know, better uh, the second time uh, yeah. secondly there's i think a very good chance of uh, saturday night live depicting ted cruz as a woman this saturday because, <laughs> god help us all <laughs> because he introduced the whole concept dur- during the hearing but you do have a situation here where so no, i do think that was a better one than her just saying i'm not a biologist well he it also Blackbird. also what he was getting there uh, was not just hey as a as a political or cultural matter, how do you or a moral matter? How do you feel about this? He was trying to to to, to tie it to the make it germane to the hearing, which was right. a legal issue, you know, a, a judicial issue, which I think was a smart way to get into it. So I think he got into it in a smart way, and then she was better prepared for it this time. But the fact that it came up on two straight days. I mean, that tells me we're going to continue to hear more conversation about this from politicians, probably in the context of campaigns. I'll be shocked, candidly, if people don't use this in ads. I mean, there'll be a Republican out there who tries to run an ad on this or will run an ad in the hopes of getting it banned. You know what I mean? Like the ad that they wouldn't show on Twitter. I mean, you you can see how people could really try to build something out of this just because of the, you know, just how much it's being discussed in our culture right now. And, and he was also hitting on this, like, particular part of law that was, you know, that women and feminists had spent a long time over the course of the last 45, 50, 60, 70 years building up uh, certain aspects. You know, to, you know, talk about Title IX, you want to talk about certain other things that have been built in to protect women, to make sure that they have equal rights and equal playing field. There's a broad and diverse coalition that has questions about what the effect or where this is going to end up. That's why you have people like Dave Chappelle. You have people like J.K. Rowling, who, shall we remember, was basically canceled for writing one of her characters, Dumbledore, as being gay. Was hailed as a, a, a hero at the time, but now has essentially been canceled by that same group of people. Uh, because she's expressed some questions and how is this going to work out but for the long-term effect on what women's rights are in in uh, Western civilization. One of the pieces of this topic this week uh, that I found particularly interesting because this podcast emanates from Kentucky was a University of Kentucky swimmer, a collegiate swimmer named Riley Gaines, competed in the women's 200 freestyle on Friday, and she did an interview with the Daily Wire, a reporter named Mary uh, Margaret Olihan and Gaines, the, you know, to, to summarize, had finished fifth in the in the race, and so had Leah Thomas, the Pennsylvania swimmer that's been in the news. 
for this issue we're discussing. And when she got to the podium, the University of Kentucky swimmer, um, she, uh, she was told by the man holding, handing out the trophies, quote, hey, I just want to let you know we only have one fifth-place trophy, so yours will be coming in the mail. We went ahead and gave the fifth-place trophy to Leah, but you can pose on the podium with the sixth-place trophy. Now, they tied. They got the same place, but they went ahead and put Thomas ahead of Gaines. And so it, you should read it. It's on the it's on the Daily Wire. But but Gaines was pretty taken aback by this. Is it why am I being marginalized? You know, uh, uh, in favor of of Thomas here. And they've got a picture of them standing there next to each other. Um, and Gaines goes on to say, "I just want you to know we respect you and admire your swim." This is what the official told her. But we just want Leah to hold the trophy. I mean, it. it you can tell that this this swimmer, the UK swimmer, I mean, you, to to get to that level of collegiate athleticism, you, you have to put in a lot of work over a lot of years, and and to be treated that way, you can tell she was heartbroken. There was certainly a judgment made there, and it had nothing to do with swimming. Now, of course, there's. I mean, I I, I don't know the facts in front of me here, but it seems to me there's not a tremendous amount of Division One athletes who are transgender. This is a situation where it's more of a, for lack of better words, a poster child, or basically it's, it's just a, it's emblematic of a, of a, of a larger issue. This, the thing that's kind of been simmering, though, uh, maybe uh, a lot of debates in addition to, you know, who's allowed to compete in sports, is the question of what parents are choosing to do with their children who present themselves or have uh, transgender tendencies and basically the question of whether these parents should give puberty blocking drugs. There is a YouGov America poll that came out this week uh, on that. And it's, it, it, it's amazing how it follows age and party. Uh, so basically among 18 to 29 year olds, 41% said they support parents doing this among 30 to 44 year olds. It goes from 41 to 33%. From 45 to 64 year olds goes from 33 to 25 percent, yeah, and 65 and older, 18 percent. Right. On a party breakdown, 49 percent of Democrats say sure, as we support it. 20, uh, 12 percent of Republicans. So this is where this, uh, so as, a, as a political matter here, but it's something else altogether. But and this is something that I would think, though, at least it seems to me, but I don't know because this is su- such a new issue. At least it is for me. I'm still trying to get my arms around, is this something which is, it, 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 maybe it's always been there, we're just finding out about it, and, or is it something which is is almost being, not encouraged, but is, is this, this something which people want to make a, the issue of the next decade? Well, when we have issues like this that are so new, I mean, what is obvious is, is that law and institutions are not built to handle things happening, happening this quickly, right? I mean, our laws don't necessarily address this. You know, the NCAA obviously doesn't know what to do. I mean, Gaines, the swimmer I mentioned. I mean, well, she, the, NCAA, the NCAA is probably the last institution. That we should trust with any issue. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, they're just incompetent in general. <laughs> but it's interesting. Gaines, the swimmer that I mentioned from UK, she said, quote, Title IX has been around for 50 years. The NCAA was even passing around Title IX shirts. And on the back of the shirts, it said equity, fairness. And I just thought it was a bit ironic that you preach one thing but do another. <laughs> And so, so, but you know, the point is though that that we have a society that moves a lot faster than our our institutions are built to move, and this upsets people. A politician I used to work for once said, "Instant coffee ruined the world." People want instant change. 
people want institutions to move a lot faster than they're really able to move. And on an issue like this that inspires a lot of emotion and a lot of passion on no matter what side of the debate you're on, institutions that can't move this quickly and sometimes don't move in the correct you know, or in a, in, a, in a responsible direction or in a direction that was well thought out, they can really find themselves hated by everybody. I mean, at the end of the day, no one's happy with what the institution did. They may not be able to move quickly, but, you know, the elites are able to. I mean, Joe, you've got a whole list of people blocked on Twitter uh, because they said the thing that was non-orthodox uh, on an issue that most Americans either don't agree with or are still figuring out. It, it is interesting. I, I wonder how long this is sustainable because— um, it's not just the trans issue that's gotten people canned on on social media. I mean, bef- remember, back during the election in 2020, if you said anything about Hunter Biden, right. you were finding your, I mean, a whole new, the oldest newspaper in America, the New York Post, was banned for printing something that ultimately was proven to be true. Same thing with COVID, of course. COVID got people banned. So, so it seems like these corporations that run these social media companies, Twitter in particular, they are able to move quickly. Right. And they do move quickly, and oftentimes they end up moving on people and then are later proven to have been right, or at least not telling a lie or not, you know, oftentimes they say, well, we're banning you for something that's violent speech or that it's misinformation. Well, I mean, sometimes they're wrong. And so, I I don't know, this is is a modern sort of cultural problem that we have about regulating people's access to the public square and – and uh, I'm not. I'm just not sure we've caught up with the, with the implications of it. The blue birdie is the final arbiter of truth in our culture. I mean, the, I mean, the look. Donald Trump's banned. The Ayatollah Khomeini is not. I mean, uh, the Taliban is on Twitter, as far as I know. Donald Trump isn't. The Taliban was on Twitter. The New York Post was banned for is a while. Putin, I mean, is, is, are the Russians still on Twitter? I, I believe so. Yeah. The Babylon Bee, which is a satirical <laughs> website, uh, and, and they came out with uh, what was it that they tweeted about? Was it Rachel Levine? Maybe call him, you know, as man, yes. of the, man of the year. Uh, and I guess, okay, show us canceled. Sorry, Scott. I just canceled your show. No, they, their, their thing, uh, their, their, the Babylon Bee's Twitter feed was canceled. But then what happened to the CEO? Then the CEO himself, I guess. And they also tried to do like not the bee. Every, like every iteration following it, it continues to be banned. And this is the question now becomes I think there, there's, there's an expectation of some fealty. That you have to kind of like come on bended knee. Well, that's and what say, they did. I'm that's sorry. what they did in the Hunter Biden case. Remember, during that, it was like, well, if you'll just delete your tweet, you just ha- you have to delete your tweet and, and admit that you were admit wrong. Admit that you're wrong, and we'll and we'll put you back on. It's ba- it's it's basically like you got to bend the knee. Right. And and the B CEO said, I will not. Right. And so now he's banned. <laughs> you know. So I'm curious now. With this, this is the environment. I want to ask you, by the way, about this the mid-year, uh, midterm elections and what we're going to happen as far as some campaigns on this issue in a moment. But first, considering the cancel culture that is out there, I, I can't ascribe what the necessarily what the motivations are. But there's two Republican governors this past week, uh, Governor Spencer Cox of uh, Utah and Governor Eric Holcomb of Indiana, who both vetoed legislation in their respective states that would bar or ban transgender athletes from taking part in the opposite sexes. Was this uh, for high school? High school. Yeah, okay. So so now you have the uh, legislative bodies in, in those states saying they're going to override those vetoes. But you have two relatively conservative governors, Republicans. I mean, 
the first thing I thought of, I don't know, like, again, uh, I think Holcomb was saying it's just going to be, we're going to be sued for it anyway, so why should we go down that path? I also wondered about um, Indianapolis being the home of the NCAA. Yeah. And so much of, of, of what they do sometimes, it seems to me from the outside, is somewhat following what that very large institution and the fact that they want to be welcome there. You know, our, our two of them get along. You know, you you raise an interesting point about governors in this case. Uh, remember a few years ago when the old governor of North Carolina, um, uh, uh, no, it was McCrory, and uh, you know they passed the uh, the bathroom bill down there, and they they faced a massive corporate backlash. So I actually do very similar. Yeah, I that's actually a good point. I do think there is some level of probably worry. You know, in some state capitals, like if we go down a certain road. Are we going to face corporate implications for, you know, if we and wait Indiana, into one of these Indiana cultural already issues. went through iteration of that back when Pence was was governor. That's with right. The religious freedom stuff and and really was one of the the first instances of that reaction against a, a state policy. So is that the instance of a, a governor picking big corporations, potentially donors, over? The people who sent them there. Well, and I would say, I mean, I think we've all attended different uh, chambers of commerce's, you know, economic development type conferences in the past, and one of the, you know, factors that someone will put on, you know, some of the, you know, what you need to do to, to have good workforce development. You need bike lanes, and you need LGBTQ plus yeah. friendly policies and things like that, because that's going to draw the workforce and the people that you need. So in that regard. I remember that being the argument um, for the so-called fairness ordinance in Louisville years ago. It was less about what was good for the people for whom it was supposedly uh, advocating. It was more having to do with economic development and what it says about the community. I, I think that we, we now live in a world where corporations are under far more pressure to respond to these kinds of issues. I mean, look what happened in Georgia when they were doing going through the voting law stuff. I mean, you had a number of corporations that felt – felt like they had to respond to it. You had the Major League Baseball move the All-Star game out of there. So so you are in an environment where um, governors, policymakers have to be weary of the idea that if we do X, then corporations may do, you know, A, B, and C to us. Um, I think uh, I, I, I just I, – I, there's, there's – there's a there's like 25 dimensional chess you know going on here if you currently hold an office and and what your motivations are if your motivations are political and you're like this is good for me politically I'm going to you know that's one it's pretty simple but if you're if you're a governor or if you're already in office or if you've got a you know uh you know more of an independent minded constituency it, it's it's more complicated you know who takes a strong stand right here is governor Ron DeSantis in Florida Disney came out hard against you know the don't say gay bill and legislation he was proposing, and yeah. he he told them where they could put their concerns. Yeah, and that that was. And it's hard for Disney to move out of Florida, though. Well, Gavin Newsom has said they're to welcome them back to California, so they have an option. I don't think they'll take it, but they have that option. And Disney's really interesting because, you know, they've they've taken various steps and evolved their response, and everybody's upset with them. Yeah, they the, the CEO of Disney made a huge mistake. I mean, if you if you were trying to help Ron DeSantis become. Mm-hmm. The next president of the United States. I can't imagine a better help to him than the CEO of Disney was on this because he had been a donor to DeSantis, calls him up to pressure him on a deal. And then DeSantis ends up turning it into a really good video and a PR moment for himself. I mean, they basically made him like the next Teddy Roosevelt, like this guy tells his donors to go pound sand. I mean, it, it really was 
I mean, DeSantis showed some political aptitude on that, regardless of how you feel about the the bill or the whole issue. I mean, DeSantis turned that thing around, and then they turned around and did it on the transgender issue. I guess the second-place swimmer was from Sarasota. And so (laughs) the state of Florida went ahead and recognized the (laughs) second-place swimmer as the champion. I mean, DeSantis, you can – like, if you want to analyze the politics of this, watch what he's doing. And, and how, you know, he's obviously preparing for a Republican primary for president. I mean, you can tell where people are. Well, and Scott, I wanted to ask you a question on this because, you know, we see this this shift between, you know, Republicans often seen as the party of business and particularly, you know, the Democrats would say party of big business. But there is a shift going on right now where Republicans are turning against and openly attacking corporations, chambers of commerce. Oh, yeah. And, and there's also this quieter shift that started when Trump was elected, which was the, the switch from uh, big dollar donations to the small power of the small dollar donor, and you know, play that out for me in this DeSantis situation. Like he doesn't really need to rely on the donation of the CEO of Disney anymore if he's getting millions of fifteen, twenty five, thirty dollar donations from people across the country. Yeah, th- this is this has been an interesting change in our politics, and we talk about this a lot in my class that I teach up at the up at the Kennedy School. But the power of the small dollar donor has really changed the the dynamic in campaigns where, you know, yes, you still get money from maxed out donors. Yes, there are still bundlers. Yes, you know, you still have large donors in campaigns. But this the massive numbers of people who are now willing to donate small amounts to candidates all across the country. The Democrats got there first. Trump comes along and now the Republicans are catching up. And in fact Trump did better among small dollar donors in twenty than than Biden did. So it does take it it, it. it does mean you have to be less responsive. At the same time, you do have this splitting right now of business and Republicans, and you have Republicans out there led by Trump, so they're following Trump's lead. And you know what's the thing we hear? The woke corporations, the woke corporations, big tech, and and so uh, it, it. This is the realignment. You know, the Republicans becoming more of a of a blue collar worker you know, oriented party. The common and, man. And the Democrats, but here's the thing, though. While while the corporations are responding to the Democrats culturally, the Democrats are not necessarily responding to the corporations as an economic matter. Right. I mean, you still have Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren out there saying, these corporations are all crooks. Right. Even though the corporations are doing their bidding on these cultural issues, they're still getting bashed by the Democrats you know, you don't pay enough taxes, and you're a crook, and you're, you know, crushing people. It, it's really interesting. But I think that I think that's more because I think a lot of these corporations are responding to to what they think their employees want as a employee retention matter, more so than whether or not whether or not they think it's the right thing politically or culturally. But that doesn't make you impervious to the consequences no, of your actions. Absolutely how much, not. How much of, of what you talked about, though, is performative rather than an expectation of, of corporations being liquidated and, and the proceeds being distributed to the, to the country? Are you... You mean it's from Republicans? No, from Democrats. Oh, uh, from, perf- no. Do I? If I thought if, if Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren could wave a magic wand today, they'd nationalize all these sons of bitches. I mean, they, I mean, literally. <laughs> I mean, literally, they would turn them in. We would. They would nationalize the oil companies. They'd nationalize the pharmaceutical companies. Gas would be so expensive, right? Dude, now. I'm, just, I'm saying right now, they would not hesitate. They would not hesitate. It's not performative. They believe it now. Fortunately, we live in a center right country, and that's not going to happen. 
But that's the that, as that, long as the electoral system is preserved the way it is. But that is the box. Well, thank God for the filibuster. But right. that's the box. <laughs> that's the box these companies are in. Is that they're under pressure from workforce to do things that align themselves with a party that would literally not pee on them if they were on fire. I mean, that is the it's it is amazing the box they're in. Before we leave the uh, some of the cancel thing, uh, cancel culture altogether, I want to ask you about uh, some of the hypocrisy. Uh, we talked about the Babylon Bee and others being canceled, being t- taken off social media. I, I, I certainly are. My, my prayers are with uh, anyone who's in the hospital, but including Justice Clarence Thomas, mm-hmm. um, who and it's and it's been quiet the last couple of days. And of course, it's not the he is certainly not the first Supreme Court justice whose illness has not been reported widely or who's released from the hospital. If he's out of the hospital, has not been released. But the Supreme Court is notorious or just are that's not a, that's a negative connotation they just they just are very reserved about any kind of public proclamations of of their health but but it just it just discourages me overall when anyone wishes ill will you know on on someone's health and i saw on my social media feed all over the place as soon as it was disclosed that clarence thomas in the hospital people outwardly wishing for his death basically saying you know, uh, let's all pray that God does the right thing. Uh, you know, uh, please, please let this uh, be him getting his just desserts. I'm just reading a couple of the the, the, the tweets and things that I, that I saw. But how is it that someone can misgender, if you will, and be canceled, and be taken, but someone else can literally wish for someone's death and and stay on social media? I don't understand that. Is that is, is, is that just a? Are you? I mean, you're you're assuming that the people who make these decisions are sort of fair and balanced. I mean, I mean, it's it's fairly obvious here. I mean, if you have certain political views, I mean, you're not going to get banned for anything. And if you have other political views, you got to walk on eggshells. I mean, it's quite apparent. I guess I. I mean, is it like sort of like I'm shocked there's gambling here? I mean, yeah. is, is this where? Am I just naive about all this? There've been a lot of people for a long time who haven't liked Clarence Thomas, and they have a lot of power. You know, you stumbling across this realization. Starting with Joe Biden. Starting with Joe Biden. (laughs) A lot of power in the White House. You you stumbling across across this realization, Joe, kind of wants me to quote uh, the greatest Christmas movie of all time, Die Hard, which is Welcome to the Party, Pal. There you go. Still haven't seen that movie, by the way. That's a whole other story. Uh, Before I – actually, back to this – the transgender thing before we let this go and go to the Supreme Court altogether – no, I have to ask you. I sort you. of feel like up until now, we have evaded cancellation. I think we've handled this it responsibly. But you're just keeping on, so just keep going. <laughs> no, I, I, I promised I was going to ask you this question. Will we see this in campaign ads this fall? Is that question? I think 100%. Uh, absolutely. Republicans are going to use the – look, I think it's part of a broader campaign because in addition to this issue, there's a larger campaign going on aimed squarely at parents, you know, like – are your schools good? What are they teaching your kids? Do you live in a safe community? You know, it's kind of the Yunkin prescription that, you know, he ran on in Virginia a little bit. But there is a whole sort of evolving issue here about quality of life. And, you know, are, can you trust the Democrats to give you the quality of life and give your children the quality of life that you want for them that you think you deserve? I 100% think this is going to find its way into some ad somewhere. Uh, I think it'll be talked about in debates. I think Republicans will try to get their Democratic opponents in purple districts to say, to, to line up with the most progressive voices on this, because it's, uh, look, we, we went over the Gallup polling. 
it's going to put them out of step with where most independent voters are. And in a close campaign in a tight district, if you can get your opponent looking extreme or out of step with the independents, you've got them on something. I guess it's not a zero-sum game. You can talk about more than one thing at one time. But I just presumed going into the midterm elections that it was going to be dominated by uh, COVID shutdown and schools and things like that. And I, I'm just curious about how this— you... there, I think it's a, there's a whole quality of life issue. It, it'll be re- inflation, right. you know, energy prices. That's going to be an issue. But I'm just telling you, I, I think—, I think I still think the COVID shutdown is important because Republicans are going to remind voters who shut your schools down, who closed your businesses, who insisted on doing this for far longer than we all knew was necessary or was helping, especially on the schools. And so to me, it is it is like a reminder that you've got extremists here and my opponent lines up with the extremists, and I line up with you. That, that's how it'll be characterized, and I suspect it'll be quite effective. I, have to, I just have to ask, as a political campaign matter, because I've never run a camp, or been involved in a campaign before, unlike everybody else in the room, is there, and, and the Trump presidency kind of perfected the art of flooding the, 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 the narratives and having so much stuff going on that it was hard to keep track of any one issue. It was just so many controversies and whatever else, it was almost difficult to figure out what the issue to be upset about that day was. So in some ways, does Joe Biden or the Democrats have that going for them? I mean, in other words, we haven't mentioned Afghanistan in forever, and that's a huge, otherwise any other year that would have been just a huge issue going into the midterms. I'm just saying Afghanistan, Ukraine, and Russia, and COVID, and now transgender, and the Supreme Court pick, and and inflation and gas prices and the Keystone Pipeline and energy independence. I'm just, I mean, I'm just, just, I'm just riffing off the top of my head, and I'm probably missing three or four major things. Yeah, but nothing, it, but none of those things you listed are helping them. I guess what I'm saying <laughs> I mean, it's is, literally like everything is worse than the last one you just mentioned. <laughs> okay, that's a good, that's a good point. I'm just saying is sometimes when you have so serious much stuff question, going on. What's the best thing they got going for them right now? Serious question. What it? What I would is say the best for, thing. I would say for 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 a, quite a few people, it is the the. Uh, the the symbolism of the Supreme Court justice being a black. Right, that'll woman. be over shortly. Wow, that'll be over shortly. I think that's no. I think it is. I think there's in the same way as John McCain recognizing on election night when Barack Obama was elected to say this is an historic night for America. Interesting that you pick a loser, but but do you someone think, who lost? But do you think though that is going to be a determinative voting issue for someone in November? If if no I, one's I don't. Going, no, I don't think anyone's going to vote for Joe Biden because of that issue. Who wouldn't have otherwise or vote for the Democrats? Who otherwise wouldn't have voted for them? Yeah, anyway. that's what I'm saying. I, that's, as, that's a good so, point. So as that's a, a voting point. matter, what's the best thing they got going for him? I mean, I, I, honestly, I am. If you look down the list of issues on polling, he is underwater on virtually everything. The, the number one thing that they allegedly did have going for them was that you know Joe Biden was not Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. And guess what? That's not on the table anymore. That's not on the table for the midterm election. And in so many ways, he's turned into Donald Trump. But I mean, heck, we've got less effective. We've got Trump saying like a, about three months before Biden was elected president that if he gets elected, you're going to have four dollar, five dollar, six dollar gas, and it just they have they have no positive things that they can campaign on that are going to last. You mentioned Afghanistan, and although we're not talking about it, if you, every single poll that comes out about Joe Biden and you see him in the upper thirties or low forties. It's because of Afghanistan. That was the first domino. That was the first domino, and you can't have all the other ones fall without the first one. And that was when everyone realized, 
holy crap, these people are absolutely incompetent. I do want to get to the Supreme Court in a moment, and, and Kevin has some, some trivia for us or some questions, a quiz for us all. I, since you mentioned Trump, Sean, I do want to stick on Trump for one second and before we get there, and that is the, the news the last couple, I guess maybe the last 24 hours, that he has pulled his endorsement from Mo Brooks. <laughs> And, and this is the greatest. <laughs> so to fill us in. And but then beyond that is just I want to hear from you in terms of your calculus and where the Senate, the, the balance of the Senate stands right now, because you also have another crazy story out of Missouri. Like we you can, you can almost always expect Republicans to sabotage themselves in Missouri. But go ahead. It was a fist fight in Ohio. Don't forget that. One. That is. Well, they didn't quite punch. They were. There was chest bumping. There was. It was. There, there was, was some a lewd name. There used. was some light swearing. Yes. 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 So anyway, so first of all, Mo Brooks, what's your reaction here to Trump pulling the endorsement? Well, this Alabama Senate race is. I mean, look, whoever gets the nomination is going to be sent. I think senator from Alabama. I mean, it's a Republican state in a great year. So. That's not the issue. The issue here is um, it's a three-way primary, and Mo Brooks, who's a member of the House, spoke at the January 6th rally, has been one of the—I mean, no one has been a bigger lackey for Trump than Mo Brooks. I mean, he has laid it all out there and put all of his eggs in that that basket. And Trump endorsed him early, and his campaign has been an absolute friggin' disaster— I mean, a disaster. I mean, he's just a terrible candidate. He's a terrible candidate. And so recent polling has come out showing the other two candidates, Katie Britt and Durant, who's pretty impressive, by the way. Both of them are impressive. Um, Far ahead of Brooks. I mean, Brooks is way behind. I mean, he's sucking, you know what. And so he, he, and so Trump is facing down a primary election season in which he's made all these endorsements and all these people that is endorsed are struggling. But maybe none more so than Mo Brooks in a state where I would consider Alabama to be one of Donald Trump's strongest states personally, electorally. And so he probably didn't think, gosh, the Republicans in Alabama just simply won't listen to me. So he's pulled his endorsement from Brooks. And the word is he's met with both Britt and Durant. And so I've actually been wondering if he won't endorse them both and say either would be fine. Because because at some point, what does he care about? What does he care about? His one loss record. He wants to be able to say that his word is gold. His word is what goes in the Republican Party. And if he starts losing these races, the shine comes off of it. I know folks that go to the Derby and they buy a two dollar. They have a two dollar bet on every horse so they can show the ticket at the end, saying I had the right one. Absolutely, absolutely. It's a PR issue for him. I don't want to lose all these races. Brooks is going to lose, and he's not clearly, obviously, not going to make the runoff. And so he got out of that one. But he's got other races where he is in it, and it's it's not going well. I would say that was his biggest liability, hanging out there, so extracting himself. But, you know, if you read what Trump said, well, the other day Brooks uh, abandoned me on the election integrity. It wasn't the other day. Brooks said this months ago. and Trump at, a, sort of, at a Trump rally. At a Trump rally. And, and, and Trump's trying to rewrite history on that a little bit. Now, interestingly, the Club for Growth, which is a player in these campaigns and these primaries, said they're going to stick with Brooks. But I'll be shocked if they spend as much money on him as they are spending, say, on Ted Budd over in North Carolina, who's one of their big people. And he's actually a Trump-endorsed candidate who probably has a good chance to win that primary, unlike Brooks. So it, it's 
it's really interesting. I don't know who's going to win between Durant and Britt, but either would be better in the Senate, in my opinion, than Brooks. Now, over in Missouri. Over Missouri, Missouri, depending upon which end of the state you're in. You're more of a rural Missouri. Well, I come from the western Kentucky, not too far from Missouri, where they say Missouri. So I'll, I'll call it Missouri. <laughs> so, uh, Amen. We, you have the former governor, Eric Greitens, running for Republican Senate. There's a, a very crowded field, by the way, for yeah. Republican Senate there. But he was the front runner. He was the, 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 the Trumpite, or at least the, the presumed. And his former, uh, uh, his wife, uh, his ex-wife accusing him of abuse of her and the children. Yeah. This, of course, follows this, the a reason why, why he resigned from the governorship in the first place, which has to do with a woman being handcuffed in his basement. Uh, I think taped. Taped, was it? Okay. To the something. I should be careful. I'm it's gonna... ter- Dude, it's a terrible story. I mean, he was a terrible guy. I mean, there's a reason he got run out of office. There's a reason that Josh Hawley is adamant that he not be the nominee of the Republican Party. And and there's only one way for Republicans to lose this race, to nominate Greitens. There's only one way to nominate Greitens. But it's a fragmented primary. As you mentioned, there's a lot of candidates. And he had the most name recognition of any of them. So he has been the front runner. This accusation that's come out from his ex-wife is horrendous. It's terrible um, about what he supposedly did. And I'm I hear there's more to come. And so we'll see what happens over there. By the way, anybody else in that race, if they get the nomination, will be elected senator from Missouri. Missouri. I mean, it, it literally, it literally, it won't matter. I mean, you could nominate Billy Long, you could nominate Vicki Harsler, you could nominate Schmidt. I mean, it won't matter who gets it. They're going to be senator from Missouri. And so, uh, I I hope I hope the Republicans over there do the right thing and get somebody that's not named Eric Greitens and. I hope Donald Trump, by the way, doesn't get into this thing and and put his thumb on the scale for Greitens. Not that it may make that big of a difference, but this is one of these this is one of these headaches the party doesn't need in a year when we we just got to pick up one seat. Back to the Supreme Court now, and uh, day three. We're recording this again on Wednesday evening, about ten thirty now. And um, Ketanji Brown uh, Jackson's third day of confirmation hearings have wrapped up. Uh, if from what I've read on, I, I was away from television all day today, and just I've been trying to pick up on some things on Twitter. And according to Twitter, she is being attacked. She is literally being attacked mercilessly, mercilessly, unlike any Supreme so, Court confirmation hearing which you've I, ever seen. I, I'm discouraged by this because I was hoping that Republicans were going to turn the corner and 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 show. So what is our what's what are the attacks? Just so, since I've missed it, what are the attacks? Oh, you know those those Republicans are. Asking her questions about her judicial philosophy and maybe probing into decisions that she's made from the bench and, you know, know, very, very uh, harsh things that um, the the Democrats would never do anything. Stoop this. I heard there were attacks. This this is it. I hate these hearings. I, I hate them. I mean, I feel like we don't learn all that much from from the the nominees. They all say I can't answer that question or I won't answer that question or or uh, I'm unaware of that, or that might come before the court. We, we don't really learn anything about these people. Um, and each time, depending upon who the president is and who's nominated, uh, one side of the committee says this is the worst thing that's ever happened to our country, and then the other side says this is a great day for America and just sits there and basks in the glory of the person. I, I, I find this entire thing to be tiresome. I mean, number one, I agree with Sean that— you don't really learn anything here. I mean, they, they can't answer questions about issues. I mean, you, you might learn a little bit about their personality to some degree, but, you know, she can't sit up there and say, I would vote this way on this or that way on that. I mean, look, the bottom line is 
a liberal retired. They went out and found the youngest and most liberal person they could find who was highly qualified, highly professional, highly educated. So you can't call their credentials into question because she is. I mean, she's a professional, educated, qualified person. But they didn't pick her that for that reason. They picked her because she is going to vote exactly the way Breyer would have voted, which is exactly the way liberals want you to vote on every case. And so there's really no mystery in any of this. She's going to be confirmed. I don't see any Democrat breaking with Biden on it. That's number one. Number two, I, I, I would say less than 1% of the decisions she ever engages in will be surprising. Uh, and And you know what? I, that's just the way it is. And so I, I think the Republicans have made some good points about some of the rulings she's made on some of the the uh, criminal justice cases. Uh, I, I, I do think, uh, you know, I, the, the stuff on her being a public defender on the uh, on some of the cases she was assigned. I mean, you know, we have a tradition in this country in which people who are accused of crimes get legal representation. So I'm not I don't know if those landed. I do think the child porn stuff landed a little bit. The three month sentence landed. But at the end of the day, did anything happen this week that's going to cause a Democrat to vote against this nominee? No. I was being intentionally obtuse, obviously, earlier about you know, my, my uh, naivete or surprise by, by the— It's hard to tell sometimes. I know. I know. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, but he was coiled up and, in the corner and, over there and, waiting, and, just waiting. Welcome back. <laughs> but, you know, the, the, this was an opportunity, and perhaps it, it is going on, to sort of press the reset button on these hearings, as we are all disgusted by, in general, about what they have become in America in, 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 in general, after Kavanaugh, after Barrett, you know, and, and these things. So, you know, for, for the fact that the, the, for the Democrats, though, then to basically have the same level of outrage over literally a Republican saying, I think these views are soft on crime, and that was considered to be beyond the pale. So... That said, I am hopeful that given the fact that this has been relatively reserved, pretty much a consideration to say this is, this is going to happen and just move on with it, I'm not naive to think it's going to change forever, but at the same time, you've you got to hope that there would be some reset. There's one point I wish she would have made, and you know, Sean brought up good ideas that they normally don't talk about pending cases or cases that could come before them, but she was asked repeatedly, both in private meetings and in public, about court packing. Yes, right. Do you support it? Do you think the court should be expanded? Do you want lots of work friends? Anything like that? And she refused to answer. And the former Justice Ginsburg, Justice Breyer, who for whom she clerked and is replacing, both gave answers for, like when they were after con, they were confirmed that court packing is a bad idea. Nine is the right number, and it's a little disappointing that she couldn't say that. You know, Kevin, you you bring this up, and it's an excellent point because it would have been. I mean, look at Mitch McConnell on this. You know, I don't think he had any expectation Joe Biden was going to nominate some moderate to conservative judge here. However, that we know that is an issue he cares about deeply. And he frequently cites Breyer and Ginsburg on the court packing issue. If she would have said, I agree with, with Ginsburg and Breyer, it would have put McConnell in an interesting place in which you know, he has acknowledged publicly, hey, she's highly qualified. That's not in question. You know, she's a very accomplished person. And then if she would have come out and said, yeah, I think I think they and McConnell are right on this, that, that, that could have created an interesting political situation for them in which in which it might have given him some reason to say, well, maybe, you know, maybe it is time for us to try to restore some sanity. But but see, he would view that. I think if you can't even say that he would view that as as completely 
I mean, in some ways maybe even disrespectful mm-hmm. to the process here. And, and, and by the way, disrespectful to the institution. I mean, what have we heard for, for years now? Norms, institutions, right. norms, well, institutions. Especially from the Supreme Court justices the last few months. Yeah. Barrett, Breyer, Thomas, among them. Yeah, and so, and so to state nine is the correct number would have been in defense of the institution itself, and that that would have said something to the Republicans. I, I think that like this answer or her lack of answer on this issue, it, rep, you can tell that she has not been very well prepared for the overall hearing. I think, I think that she's gotten several questions that should have been very easy answers. Instead, she said I don't know uh, several times. I think she said it nineteen times yesterday, um, and. She she admitted today when she was under questioning from Josh Hawley that she did not read the transcript of her testimony yesterday, which is, I believe, a common thing that you do when you're a nominee and preparing for the next day. is like, hmm, what questions am I going to get again or what am I going to have to follow up on or help clarify? Uh, she said she didn't do that. Uh, it, it's just very interesting because I think part of it is because the outcome has been set. That's right. They right. know, she knows, she's going to be on the court, and so this is all spectacle. Yeah, so, why would she ever say more than she absolutely had to? Correct. Well, and, or, or perhaps prepared to the degree that Sean suggests that other the previous well, nominees have. I, 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 I disagree. I think she's extremely prepared in that she knew what not to read. She knew what oh, not to look up again because I don't recall is a safer answer than, well, actually, I wish I would have said it this way. She said at some point today or yesterday that she was vaguely familiar with the Brett Kavanaugh hearings. <laughs> like she she pre- either pretended or literally does not know what the nature of the accusation was and what the whole hubbub or, or the controversy. That was one of the biggest contra- judicial controversies of the Supreme Court nominating process in the last 50 years. To your point, the outside uh, the, the factors here are, are certainly causing the, a, a, a different environment. Like, and to your point, the outcome being already settled changes the, the stakes. I would think, Scott, in the same way, Republicans or conservatives would be far more engaged on this and perhaps looking for more uh, disqualifications if if the Supreme Court was not 6-3 right now. And, and this, is, this is the briar seat. This is, this, yeah. is not, this is not changing the balance. As a result, basically, okay, give them one of their three and we'll move on. It, it changes nothing. And, and I do think somewhere in the back of, of some Republican minds that there is a sense that, you know, we are having a bit of a debate in this country about um, – the circus that pops up around these nominations, but who's causing it? And uh, Amy Coney Barrett's was a circus. Mm-hmm. They totally, I mean, remember, Democrats boycotted her. They didn't hearing. even show up to the vote. They literally didn't show up. Kavanaugh was obviously a circus. Gorsuch, they filibustered and blew up the rules. And so in this particular case, she's undergoing some legitimate questioning of her record. Uh, she's going to get confirmed and and it it's not a circus. I mean, you don't have Republican volunteers dressing up in in uh in some uh costumes the way they did and and stand around the Capitol the way they did for Kavanaugh. It's not a circus. Even if she doesn't get any or very many Republican votes, you cannot say that she was treated to a circus the way that Barrett, Kavanaugh and Gorsuch were or that Clarence Thomas was. And I think there's something to be said for the Republicans basically treating this with the respect that it deserves when the Democrats didn't do that for the last several. 
So speaking of norms, institutions, and the Supreme Court, Kevin Grout is our resident expert on the Supreme Court. Are you a norm? Wow. That's a normie. <laughs> That's quite a promotion there, Joe. Thank well, you. Congr- congratulations. So what do you have lined up for us it's on, relative, on, on the, <laughs> this edition of the Flower Country with Scott Jennings? Because you've been doing some research on the Supreme Court. Right. So so this week I decided to put together uh, a little game for you. I'm going to eat my candy while you're asking. Yes. Yeah, I think, I think candy is good for this game. Um, this is a, uh, a little Supreme Court guess, trivia guess quiz. Guess candy. <laughs> uh, I've got four questions. Each of them have hints. You guys should be able to get it. Marbury v. Madison. The Sean's, answers will all be people. I'll say that uh, at the beginning. Sean's good at, Sean's good at trivia games. Yeah. Are, do we each get four, or we all have the same four? I only had enough time this week to come up with four. I do. Oh, you're asking each of us individually? I can do that, or I can just throw them open to the table. Just throw them out. Stop yeah. overcomplicating. You <laughs> only had enough time this week to come up with four questions? These are four good questions. You have four total questions, then. Not four each. There's four questions. <sighs> I already thought he was, Scott was going to throw me on now the podcast. Joe, Joe is pretending to be obtuse again. Rule of four, by the way, is what you get you the writ of certiorari. There you go. That's, that's have, my Supreme he, he's, Court. he's coming for my uh, Supreme Court expert title. I have no idea what you just said. Question <laughs> number one. Rule of four? It's different from a writ of mandamus. It's a rule of four. This one's easy. Certiorari. Isn't that what you get for an appetizer at the... Uh... <laughs> oh, it's calamari. Sorry. <laughs> go ahead. Hit it. Uh, n- number one. Harvard Law School claims a connection to the most Supreme Court justices at 21 members. That probably explains why Scott spends so much time just outside of Boston. Yes. When this justice was confirmed in 2020, she was the only non-Ivy member of the court. Barrett. See? That was really easy. That no, was easy. Notre Dame. I thought you were going to say what... Oh, yeah. I, th- <laughs> I mean, this is so okay. I thought you were going to say what college Where? is number two. What college is number two? Yale. Yale. Yeah, see? Yeah. What college is number three? Uh, it's, it's hard to get into such things. <laughs> they just share. They in what share city can you find the Supreme Court building? <laughs> All right, I was just trying to ease you okay. into it. Okay, see, now he's going to hit us with a really hard one. This is just for Joe. Oh, oh, no. This justice. Rule of four. Whose service straddled the turn of the millennium is famous or infamous for his daily lunch. Plain yogurt and an apple. Core and all. Oh, goodness. Straddle the millennium. So, that, I mean, it wouldn't be Scalia. I uh, mean, I answer. have a hint. It's hard to straddle things in a robe, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> this That'd justice was mugged while out jogging in Washington, D.C. in 2004. Is this the same person? The same person. That was, that was a Souter? It's David Souter. Interesting. I got it. How about that? Are you surprised? The man... Eats the whole core of an apple? The whole core of an apple. Apparently, to. the yeah. former Justice Ginsburg found it off-putting. There you go. I, I didn't think, even do that. I think most of us do. <laughs> I mean, why would you do that? Are there nutrients in the core? Actually, I, this is I'm, I'm just making these facts up now again. I think there's a little bit of... of, of uh, arsenic. Arsenic. <laughs> Thank you. You know... That is it. I think when Thank you eat the core, like, doesn't it like, numb your tongue or something? It's weird. It's a slow poison. The plain yogurt for lunch is okay as the only only substance. I mean, whatever. It was a weird lunch. Uh, David okay. Souter was a George H. W. Bush appointee. Very correct? good. Yeah. Yeah. He yeah. went very good. Mm. Yeah. All right. Moving on. Number three out of the rule of four. Justice Edward Douglas White was nominated. We've been talking about confirmation process. So mm-hmm. put yourself. I, mean, I feel in- like eating the whole core of the apple is like 
also like tucking your shirt into your underwear. It's like just like, why are you doing you that? You would think it's, it's disqualifying for someone yeah, to sit like, on the highest court. Why are you doing that? Weird. Someone in this room must <laughs> Justice Edward Douglas White was nominated by President Grover Cleveland on February 19th, 1894, and confirmed by a voice vote the very same day. Look at the other end of the spectrum. Which justice was confirmed at an all-time high record of 125 days after his nomination? It's a he. Okay. I have a couple hints for you. All right. What's what century? That's in the hint. Okay. <laughs> This justice, appointed in 1916, uh. was also responsible for the first public hearings at the Senate Judiciary Committee because of his controversial legal activism in support of workers' rights and the social reform movements. Was it um, from Kentucky, from Louisville? Was it? I've got a third hint for you All that right. I think will open it up. When he died in 1941 at 84, this justice was interned in his hometown Brandeis. at a Brand school that now bears yeah, his name. That's what I was, yeah, Justice Brandeis. Very good, Sean. Brandeis. Sean, Sean yeah. gets a point on that one. Yeah. Very good. I should have said it out loud when I was saying that Louisville. Yeah, very All good. right, last one. What did he eat for lunch, Kevin? He ate the orange rinds. <laughs> <laughs> this man once devoured an entire pumpkin. <laughs> <laughs> Who was it? <laughs> Stim and all. <laughs> Number four. This famed American jurist spent 25 years on the bench before earning the title of justice. Known for her made-for-TV opinions, she once told a riled-up party in a case before her, quote, This is not Let's Make a Deal. I am not Monty Hall. Say the first part of your question again. This famed American jurist spent 25 years on the bench before earning the title of justice. Okay. So it's a her O'Connor? No. no. Okay. I thought, got, I've got, I've I got thought you hints. said something made for TV. Before becoming a household name, she was a prosecutor and a Manhattan family court judge. Judge, uh, judge Judy. It's Judge Judy. Right. Wait, I thought you said these were Supreme Court I answers. I said it was a Supreme Court game. They were all people. <laughs> I could was Judge Judith Shineland. Yeah, Justice Judith Shineland. She's got a new TV show. Oh, I'm sorry. I've, I've oh, is that right? Yeah. I didn't. I, I I missed that too. I, I missed the Supreme Court hearings today and the Judge Just Justice Judy. Justice show. Judy. She actually eats the entire avocado. The even the pit. She just swallows it right down. That has lots of vitamins. <laughs> Before we wrap it up today, Kevin. By the way, that was a quiz. Okay. <laughs> That's all. I'm gonna Facts. Say. <laughs> a little scene red heard for the week. Anything, anything from you, Mr. Jennings? Uh, seen, read, and heard. What did I tell you I was going to bring up? I'll tell you what. You think about it. I'm going to tell you about mine, okay? I had something, but before I, the show, I told you I was going to bring this up. Uh, go oh, ahead. I know what it was. It has to do with airlines. Oh, yeah. All right, you go, then I'll go. All right. So, does anyone know? This is a quiz for you, uh, Kevin. Who is Stephen Wilhite? Anyone know who Stephen Wilhite is? He created something that, has, that changed... Um, computers. It's the stuff you clean carpets with, right? No, it is not. Oh, that's Woolite. <laughs> <laughs> he, he passed away this past week. He oh. was 74 years old. Um, worked at CompuServe, an employee of that internet company during the late 80s. He considers this in invention, one of this innovation, one of his proudest achievements. And it's something that almost everyone uses, especially on social media, if you want to make a clever point. What did he invent? He invented, and, and it has a it, it has a, a, a much debatable uh, pronunciation of this. Oh yes, 
The GIF. The GIF? The GIF. It's GIF or JIF? It's GIF. I thought he said it was JIF, but everyone else says GIF. Yeah, because JIF is a peanut butter. Which is made in Kentucky, by the way. I say GIF. It's GIF. I think it's GIF. Sean and I, as always, are in agreement. Ha! <laughs> it's GIF. Who votes GIF? Was that a harumph? Oh, wait, are you for JIF, Crawford? No, I'm GIF. He's GIF. Right. I'm GIF, Team GIF. All right, so Scott, tell us about the airlines because it, w- it wouldn't be a flyover country with Scott Jennings without a masking update. Well, you know, I think the airlines hate their customers. However, this week, they several CEOs of airlines sent a letter to the president asking him to lift the mask mandates on airplanes and in airports. Ten CEOs of U.S. passenger and cargo airlines sent a letter to the president asking for the end of onboard mask mandate and pre-departure testing rules. Thank you, all of you. Let me just tell you, it was like Alaska Air, Atlas, FedEx, JetBlue, United, uh, lots of people, Southwest, UPS, Louisville people. There's American Airlines. So they all got right. They all got it right. Now, will Donald or will uh, Joe Biden listen to these people? Eh, I don't know. We'll see. They just extended this thing. They're still threatening you. You should have your own blog on this, by the way. You should. It's, I do like that you're consistent with the theme of you know, flyover country, planes, yeah. the intro, the exit, and every only, single time. I mean, I care about this deeply because I have to get on one every freaking week. And I'm just telling you. And I also just hate the idea of the flipping government doing crap that makes literally no sense whatsoever. And I, am, and I will tell you one more thing. Yes. We're still taking our shoes off at the airport. After all these years, and for no reason. And if you don't fight back against this crap today, you'll still be wearing a mask in 20 years. So I'm literally doing this for you. FYI. On this episode of What Really Steams Scott's Clams. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. If we don't fight back, we'll be wearing masks in 20 years. And our shoes. (laughs) We'll we'll, we'll have on more masks than shoes. (laughs) Kevin, besides your great four questions, what else you got for us this week? Just deep dives into what everyone's having for lunch. Uh, I'll give an update on what you people are eating next week. <laughs> Sean? Oh. Uh, so I, I read a, a speech this week uh, by uh, Churchill, uh, which was his response to the Munich Agreement. I'm in this class, and so uh, we're reading some speeches and stuff. And I, I thought this was an interesting quote from his speech, where he's, uh, it's the same day that uh, you know, the famous quote, peace in our time, he come, they, Chamberlain comes home with the uh, Munich Agreement. And uh, Churchill says this, uh, Our hearts go out to the, the German people, but they have no power, and never, never will you have friendship with the present German government. There can never be friendship with the British democracy and the Nazi power, that power which spurns Christian ethics with cheers its onward course by a barbarous paganism, which va- vaunts the spirit of aggression and conquest which derives strength and perverted pleasure from persecution and uses, as we have seen, with pitiless brutality, the threat of murderous force. And it's kind of interesting to read that with the situation in Ukraine yeah. and Putin unfolding. And, and uh, it kind of, we should still acknowledge, we didn't talk about the Ukraine situation uh, tonight, we but I know. think we should still acknowledge the fact that it's still a, a horrendous nightmare going over there uh, for those people in that country. Yeah, great call out. I mean, McConnell talked about this on the floor the other day. Just the idea, you just can't appease, you can't be friends with or appease these these tyrants. I mean, you, you cannot. And and he even said in his speech, we how many times do we have to learn this lesson? We learned it over and over again. 
You just can't appease these people. It's I, good. I do wonder, and we'll talk about it perhaps next week, as far as, and I think it's a great point you brought up, Sean, that we didn't talk about it uh, at, at a great well, this, length tonight. Uh, we have been, like, this, the national coverage has been dominated this week right. by the Supreme Court hearing, yeah. and, and it's kind of covered up a lot of this stuff. You do it. wonder, though, it, will, will we still care five weeks in? You know, is it something, do, do we become numb to that? And I'll be curious to see how, when we come back next week, you know, uh, at that point to see if we still care. I I don't know if I was encouraged or, or discouraged by uh, Vladimir uh, Zelensky's uh, sort of idea that uh, they would consider de- declaring that they won't join NATO. Basically, giving one concession to Putin. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it next week, but I'll just be curious to see where we all stand. But obviously our prayers continue to be with the people of Ukraine. Scott, take us home. Well, thanks for being here on Flyover Country. We're glad to uh, bring this program to you every week. I did want to give a shout out to a previous guest on the program, Drew Holden. Uh, We had Drew on a few weeks ago. He's kind of the king of the Twitter thread and holding the media accountable. He announced on Twitter today, actually, that he is going to be joining the Free Beacon as a staff writer and and focusing on media accountability. So uh, if you haven't checked out Drew Holden's interview that uh, I did with him a few weeks ago, please go back into the feed and find it. Uh, and if you don't follow Drew on Twitter, Drew Holden 360, he, what he does is so good and so thorough and so necessary. And so we're glad that Drew's out there, glad he's a friend of the show and want to congratulate Drew. Uh, we'll have some more interviews we'll bring to you in the coming weeks. And uh, we look forward to bringing you this roundtable every week. Gentlemen, as always... It was a pleasure. Kevin, Sean, Joe, Jared, thanks for being with us on Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is a production of Bluegrass Media Lab, coming to you from the heart of middle America, Louisville, Kentucky. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Flyover Country on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts.